Welcome to The Crossing, the sermon podcast from Washington National Cathedral. We're so glad you're with us, and we hope this week's episode gives you comfort and inspiration. Be sure to check out our other Crossing podcast, Tower Talks, where you can find untold stories from cathedral docents, volunteers, staff, and artists who have each helped make the cathedral into the national treasure we all love. And now, enjoy this week's sermon. Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our collective hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today's Gospel reading gives us a vivid view of Jesus in his full humanness. And frankly, it's not a very pretty picture. We have two stories of healing, healing of Gentiles. In the first story, we encounter a Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus, bows down at his feet, and begs him to heal her little daughter. Jesus, in response, not only sidesteps, but he calls her a dog. It's not a very pretty picture. And it makes us beg the question, so what's going on with Jesus? And what's going on with this story? You know, we like to think of Jesus as, come unto me, all ye who travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. What happened to that Jesus in this story? That's what I'd like to invite you to wrestle with this morning along with me, because context really matters, as as we all know, when we engage in studying scripture and how it applies to our own lives. Let's explore together where we can find some good news in that story. At first blush, there's not much good news there. As my former New Testament professor, Sharon Ringy, once quipped, that's one of those stories where Jesus is caught with his compassion down. So, so what's happening? As you might imagine, theologians and commentary writers have been delving into this passage for years and years and years. And I've read a lot of them. And basically, biblical scholars sort of fall into three camps when looking at this passage. None of them particularly like it for good reason, but they come at it in different places. So let's just say the first camp can be characterized by don't like it, didn't happen. Just can't wrestle with that image that we all hold of Jesus, who is the picture of compassion and love and reconciliation. So they don't like it and think it didn't happen. Now, 
This passage also appears in a slightly different form in the Gospel of Matthew in the 15th chapter. So I think it's a little too easy to just say, out of character, didn't happen. Then there's the second camp that I would characterize as don't like it, won't have it. That group tries to sort of soften what hits us as particularly harsh and rude. They say, well, maybe Jesus was just kidding. Really? Can you imagine the desperation of this woman to go to Jesus, to bow down and beg him to heal her daughter? I don't think she would have found that very funny. And then there are those who engage in the word study to try and soften that too. And they say, well, you know, what's translated dogs is really a more diminutive form of the Greek. So think little dogs. I love dogs. Anyone who knows me knows I love dogs. And I don't care if it was a little dog or a big dog. He called her a dog. It was not a term of endearment. It was understood and would have been received as an insult. Then there's the third camp. Don't like it, but deal with it. That's what I'm inviting you into this morning. What's happening? How are we to understand this passage? It's difficult, but that's what makes it even more important then we go a little bit deeper. So many biblical scholars have given me insight that in God's great timing, I got a wonderful gift just in the nick of time. At the end of last week, Jewish New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine's brand new book, The Difficult Words of Jesus, arrived at the office. She delves with this text and many others that trouble us. And it was a huge help to me, and I commend it to you if you've ever wondered what was happening with that passage about, you know, hate your father, hate your mother, sell everything, um, the passages about slaves. What's going on there? If you've asked those questions, this is a good book for you. At the very beginning of the book, Dr. Levine says that all scriptures have passages with which people of conscience wrestle. And that since the name Israel traditionally means to wrestle with God, we do well to wrestle with passages that confuse and disturb us. Well, this is one. So I'm going to invite you this morning to take a little bit different lens with which to engage this passage. Now first we have to understand that Jesus was tired. He'd been busy healing and teaching and preaching. And he went off, as the scripture tells us, to be by himself, just to sort of refill his compassion batteries, if you will, 
I guarantee you every minister I'm, I know has been in that situation where you just don't have much compassion left and you don't want to intersect with them when they're in that spot. I ask you and God to forgive me because I've been pretty cranky at times when I needed to take a time out and be with God by myself. But in looking at this passage, I'm reminded of part of my own training and anyone who's seeking ordination in the Episcopal Church has to do one unit of what's called clinical pastoral education, CPE for short. And in my case, it entailed being a hospital chaplain for a summer. And part of that training is to make you better aware, if you're not already, of your blind spots, your biases, things that they call your growing edges, where you have a lot of things to learn. And in addition to being assigned particular units to be a chaplain, you as a group, your cohort, get together maybe once a week and do what's called verbatims. Now, verbatims are like case studies. And you're supposed to bring your worst encounter to the group so that they can help you see and learn, maybe see some things you might have missed, things that are directly into your growing edges. And as I was reading this passage again and praying about it, I thought, oh my gosh, if this had been Jesus verbatim, what a reception he would have had from his cohort. So I invite you, gather in that chaplain's circle and let's see what's going on here. Verbatims begin with basic demographics. So he's encountered a woman. We know a little bit about her age, right? Because she's the mother of a little girl. We know about her religion, her ethnicity. We know that she is a Gentile, so she's a non-Jew, Greek, Syrophoenician, which helps us locate where she is. We also know from a socio-historical lens that it's highly likely that she was a person of privilege. And so verbatims give you just sort of those basic outlines, and then you're supposed to write down word for word, as best you can, what transpired in your conversation. You note the posture, the body language. And so we know that this woman has come to Jesus. Her body language tells us she bows down at his feet and begs. And he basically sort of sidesteps what she says and calls her a dog. Now, if you are a member of that circle and have ever been put down, pushed aside, demeaned, or dismissed, 
that might hit some of your hot buttons. And you just might, in response, say, so, Jesus, you surely knew that this woman was desperate, right? Who knows who all she went to to get her daughter healed before she came to you? You might have been a person of last resort. And did you really mean to call her a dog? You might ask Jesus, so, Jesus, um, do you have any other Gentile patients and how have those conversations gone? You get the drift. It begs a lot of questions, but we all have blind spots, don't we? Now here's where the great good news comes. The woman is not put off by what Jesus says to her. Look carefully. He says that essentially Jews come first. He doesn't say not now, not ever for Gentiles. He's just ordering how he sees his ministry. The woman turns the other cheek and doesn't return an insult in kind, but says, Sir or Lord. That may be true, but surely, Jesus, you have even a crumb of grace left over for someone like me. Jesus hears her and he turns, and he heals his daughter. In that moment, commentary writer Marianne Tolbert acknowledges that that's the only time in the Gospel of Mark that someone bests Jesus in an argument. And she further posits the view that this woman the Syrophoenician woman of all people helps to broaden the scope of Jesus' ministry to help him see, if you will, that his ministry wasn't just restricted to his own people, but was intended for all. That means you and me. That means everyone. That is the great good news. Immediately following this passage, he heals a Gentile man who is deaf and mute. There's no pushback. And goes on to an expansive ministry that truly fulfills the commandment that he gives to you and to me to love God with all that we are and all that we have and to love our neighbor as ourself. Neighbor defined as everyone. Today, I suspect many of us have come with heavy hearts as we look at the tragedies and the needs at home and abroad. In a short few weeks, we've seen yet another earthquake devastate 
the people of Haiti. We have seen the fires raging in the West and the destruction and the loss of life and livelihood there. More recently, Hurricane Ida. And it's incredible, indescribable destruction. And of course, our neighbors in Afghanistan and the tragedy there. How are we to respond? Well, the good news there is sometimes it can seem overwhelming, but we know from the stories in the Bible and from our own experience that what may seem like just a crumb of grace and compassion, when we pull it all together, makes loving and life-giving loaves that nourish and heal and bring wholeness. We can do that in these instances. One way is through Episcopal relief and development that is on the ground in Haiti on the West Coast, the victims of Hurricane Ida. For our new Afghan neighbors, Episcopal Migration Ministries has ways that you can respond. And for those of you in the Washington metropolitan area, the Diocese of Washington is partnering with Lutheran Social Services with our new neighbors from Afghanistan who are resettling in our areas. Your crumbs of grace count. And as we heard in that passage from James, we marry our faith with our works. Our faith informs how we respond. So Jesus invites us to follow him to love God with all that we are and all that we have, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. There's no finite limit, truly, to Jesus' compassion and grace. Neither should there be ours. So offer up the gifts God's given you in love, in hope, in great good news. Let it be so for you and for me. Amen.